please follow in reading the Word of God. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, please teach us this morning. Show us the amazement of your word. And Father, show us, because we are children of the Most High God, because you chose us before creation, because you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and because you redeemed us as the precious blood of your Son, this is how we are to look. Father, we beg you now, help us to look like that. In Christ's name, amen. I shared with you in chapter 4, we started into this. And in chapter 4, it says, I beseech you, I beg you, walk worthy of your calling. And then from that first verse of 4, he goes through to where we are right now. And what does the worthy walk look like? Once we did the first three chapters, we know our position as children of God. This is who we are because we are saved. This is what it looks like because we are saved. This is how we walk. And I shared with you when we started into this book, I know the majority of believers know what they are supposed to do and not do. And you can tell it. They seem to be a little bit on the cranky side because they're busy trying to do and not do. But what I've learned in my years here in Castle Rock is very few pastors are explaining who we are in Christ. The Apostle Paul was amazed. If you look at his letters, many times he uses the phrase, I'm in him. And he is in me, but I'm in him. And that amazed Paul. It, it means that that relationship with Jesus Christ was so intimate that you can't tell me from Christ or Christ from me. Okay? So if that intimate relationship is there, then walk like it. Let it be seen. And I shared with you what we've been through. It is a walk that is humble. It's a humble walk. And you know, let's be realistic. In this day and age, that stands out. Because there's just not a whole lot of that going on. Humility. Okay? But it's a unified walk. And it's, it's weird because I meet with pastors and church leaders all over the place. And... There are times that I can, you know, the places that I was, uh, that I taught in when I was traveling in August, it was unified. And I didn't have to go in and say, well, we are of this denomination or we are of this denomination or I listen to this preacher or I study this book, right? It didn't do any of that. It was just, you knew it. You knew it. And I guess for me, the easiest way is, what do they do with the Word of God? If the Word of God is exalted, then we're unified. Okay, I've got an ongoing discussion right now. I don't know. 
you got to overcome that pride thing. And he says, we major on the majors and we minor on the minors. And I said, so in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Now, do you want to stand and look him in the face and tell him I didn't worry about the minors? Okay, that bothers me. That truly bothers me. Because I don't know in this book that I would call something a minor. And, of course, he wanted to get it. He said, well, you like R.C. Sproul? And I said, yeah. And uh, they said, well, you know, he was a preterist. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, what do you think? I said, he knows better now, doesn't he? Because I think what happens when we get into the end times and does this church do this or the church do that, you miss the first part. The church is the bride of Christ. We were looking at this morning in our study of John 17. We were called out of the world. We were God's. And God so loved his son that he gave us to his son as a love gift. And Jesus so loved the father that he purified this people and gave it back to the father as a love gift. I'm not sure that you can make that dog hunt that God is going to pass judgment on the bride of Christ. I think if we spent a little more time actually understanding what I call the body dynamic, there's a clarity that exists that uh, shouldn't be that hard to figure out. But we walk unified. And we the unity comes from the person of the Holy Spirit bowing to the authority of scriptures. Even the minor Okay, I'm not brave enough to say I knew which parts are the minor and which parts are the major. I think if it's the word of God, it's the major. But we walk different than the world. The word, word holiness, we throw it around a lot, you'll hear it. And the word holiness means set apart. Okay, so if you're a child of God, you are set apart from the world. You know what that means? You are different. Actually, in some translations, you'll see it's translated peculiar. You are a peculiar people. And I would say some of us are more peculiar than others, but we are different than this world. We are different than this world. But we also have a walk in love. And that's agape. It is a love that says, I will give up everything for you, and I don't expect anything in return. And I hate to break the news to you. That's not natural. That would be in that term that we throw around, supernatural. Okay. But we also walk in light because we've been taken out of darkness. We were darkness at one time. Now we are in the light of Christ. So we walk reflecting that light. And then we're finishing up this week with a walk in wisdom. A walk in wisdom. And we've been looking at it. Life's principles of the believer, but also the limits that we have, the time constraints and boundaries that we have. And um, and I was dealing with it last week on the wasted time. Okay. I found this quote that I had. I didn't write down the author. I know it's a Scottish reformer. And he made this quote. The reformer made a list every day of wasted time. 
And every day, he confessed the sin in the evening. Felt like he wasted time. He would confess it to the Lord in the evening. Okay? So now we're looking at the Lord's purposes in verse 17. Okay? So then, do not be foolish, remember? Do not walk as foolish men. Walk as wise men. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I... If I had a nickel for every time that somebody asked me, what is the will of the Lord? I'd already have a Corvette. But maybe two. I'm going to make this as easy as I can. The Lord's purposes. The Lord's purposes for every one of His children. All right? I got six things. I know. Six things. I told you I was a simple man. Six things that are God's will. Okay, and I just didn't make these up. These are biblical. Okay. One, to have all men saved. So the first thing God wills for you and me is be saved. Okay. Two, it's, it's actually kind of in this text. Uh, it, remember he said, don't be unwise. Okay. But understand what his will is. Okay, if you look, what's the next verse? Do not get drunk on wine, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Third thing, out of 1 Thessalonians, God's will, your sanctification. Okay, sanctification, what is that? Holiness. Your set-apartness. You should be more and more set-apart with every day that goes by. Fifth thing, suffer according to the will of God. Okay? Suffer for the will of God. Now listen, be real careful. A lot of the stuff that I see as we call suffering for God is self-inflicted. We're just doing it because I don't know. All right? Suffer according to the will of God. Okay, then last thing. This is God's purposes. Give thanks in everything. This is the will of God. Give thanks in everything. Okay, so then, we're looking at your outline here. It says the Lord's purposes in verse 17. Verse 17 says, don't be foolish. We already went through that, remember? Wasting time is foolish. Remember that? Okay, don't be foolish. Don't be like you used to be. All right, so if you're living a saved life, a spirit-filled life, a sanctified life, a submissive life, a suffering life, and a saying thanks life, you know what you call that? Walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. Let me give you some ideas on this. One of my favorite books of the Bible is First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians, if you read the first three chapters of First Thessalonians, you're just sitting there going, whoa, now this is a church growth program. These people have got this thing nailed down. You know, what's really amazing to me about this is that there's never been a time in Thessalonians, in the Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, 
that there hasn't been a Bible proclaiming church. Never. When the Ottoman Empire had it, guess what? It was there. Under the Greek or the Roman Empire, that's when Paul planted the thing. Under the Nazis, still there. When it fell to the socialist, it was still there. Guess what? It is today. And you know what? I cannot tell you who their elders were. I can't tell you what their television program was. I cannot tell you what their radio broadcast is or what their pastors were published. But if you look at the first three chapters of that, the first Thessalonians, you sit there and go, wow, man, what a church. What a church. But he gets into it that uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Remember I told you what the first three chapters were. Finally, then, we request you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction on how you ought to walk. Well, we're talking walk worthy. And please, God, just as you actually do walk. Okay, then here he makes this statement. That you excel still more. I mean, I read the first three chapters. I said, if you can get a church to do these first three chapters. Yeah. But he says, you do that, but I want you to excel. I want you to excel. That's amazing to me. Flat out amazing to me. And then he goes on there in verse 3 about your sanctification. But what I want you to look at, okay, our responsibility. If we are going to excel still more, okay, let's go over to chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. We request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Okay? That means, it means a lot, but anyway, the word appreciate is get to know. You need to get to know. Who? Those who instruct you. you find that, I find that fascinating because in this day and age, if you're a good pastor, then you go knock on everybody's door who attends so they, you get to know them. But the truth of the matter is, the scripture says, it's your responsibility to get to know who I am. That's what it says. Appreciate them. What? Know them. See, you appreciate somebody if you know them, right? The more you know about them, the more you appreciate them. See, we've got it backwards. We think the pastor should visit everybody. You know, he doesn't do any visitations. Yeah, I do, but it's usually at a funeral home. Okay? See what I'm trying to get at? So this is how we've managed to twist everything. Now remember, this is to excel still more. A group of people who received the Scriptures as the Word of God. A group of people who suffered for the gospel and never wavered. A group of people whose faith continued to grow. A group of people who pushed their face outside the walls of the house of prayer. Those people. I mean, this is a very active fellowship. Paul was only there at most three months. And yet, there was such a foundation course when he founded the church, he went from house to house, day in and day out, for three months. 
Sort of like being chained to him in a Roman soldier, huh? But then he says this, that you esteem them very highly in love. You know what esteem means? Do you want to know what esteem means? Take care of their physical needs. And you do it in love. Strange, isn't it? Kind of gets better. Now listen, I don't need a new Learjet. Okay, Gulf Stream would be fine. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know where I'd park it. But anyway, <laughs> get my neighbors talking. He's got a jet in his front yard. What's he doing? Okay. No, that's not what it means. You take care of their physical needs. That's why the early churches had parsonage. Okay. That, you know, we put his family up. We take care of, we pay his utilities. We live there. But then that caught up to us because as the pastors got ready to retire, they had nothing to fall back on. And they can bring in a new pastor and guess what? See you. Bye-bye. Okay. But you esteem them, meaning that you take care of their needs. All right. Drop down there to verse 14. We read your, now this is the part that is amazing to me. Okay. I want you to excel still more. We urge you to admonish the unruly. Okay. You know what admonish means? Let me tell you what unruly means first, because you've all seen them, right? The unruly is the one that says, okay, we're going to go to the right, and they go left. The unruly is the one that says, we're going to go forward, and they go backwards. You say, you want to go backwards, they go forwards. That's the unruly. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of, you ever seen little kids? Little kids have a gift of this. Now, we're going to go over here and wait. Vroom! <laughs> I ain't waiting. Okay, that's the unruly. To admonish them is to come up and put your arm around them and explain to them, this is going to be the consequences that you haven't thought through. And I admonish you, I am going to explain to you, these are the consequences. Now you think what you're doing is cute, or you may think it's your independence, or you may think it's your right. But you do not understand that this is going to put you in a place that you are not going to be happy with. So that's admonished the ruling. Now, who does it say is supposed to do this? All of us. All of us. But it says, encourage the faint-hearted. <laughs> you know what that means? I call it the swooners. Have you ever seen them uh, donkeys? Or not donkeys, what are they? Goats? Swooning goats are just poof, and they fall over. You yell at it, and it goes poof, falls over. That's the faint-hearted. And you know what? We have Christians who are faint-hearted. And you can just, the, any, any little thing, poof, they fall. And you have to pick them up and encourage. Come on now, it's okay. Poof, they fall over again. In case you're trying to not get it. Um, they're kind of t- time-consuming. And pick yep, poof, pick yep. And you know these people. You've seen them. They're the ones. Have you ever seen the people that just complain? You're going to spend eternity in heaven. In a place of sinless perfection. And you're going to complain about what here? I'm convinced. The suffering of this age cannot compare to the glory to come. 
Oh, I believe that. And they just fall over. And so it's our responsibility to excel still more is to pick them up and say, it's okay. We're going to get through this. I guarantee it. And you pick them up and come on now. It's all right. Oh, come on, come on. And sometimes it takes two or three of you. Okay. Help the weak. Okay. The weak, the word weak there can mean they are either weak in their faith, meaning that maybe they don't have a lot of information. Okay. Or they may be morally weak, which means they have information, but now they're living under a burden of guilt. Now, we as Christians are notorious to finding those who are morally weak and just making sure we run over them three or four times. Okay? Instead of saying, okay, you're dealing with this. Let me help you. Let me help you. All right? You know, in just this small group... I bet we've got just about every sin covered. And sometimes we may have it covered more than once. Which means everybody here can help with whatever issue you think you're dealing with. But you might be a little bit on the faint-hearted side. You might be a little bit on the unruly side. Or you may be just weak in your understanding of your position in Christ. Okay? But it doesn't say execute the weak. All right? It says what? Help them. If they have a burden, you who are spiritual, put more on their back. No, you who are spiritual, bear that burden. I remember years ago we had a lady whose husband left her. She was very vulnerable. We had uh, some women trying to help her. I know me and one of the other elders were very uh, uh, trying to help her. And, uh, uh, you know, they lost the house. It, it just it was a mess, about a year of just absolute destruction. And, you know, we were sharing with her. We were praying with her. We had a number of people praying outside of her realm that was praying for and all the rest of it. And in come this stinking wolf. Okay. And of course, he came to church a few times and just began, gosh, that's just really good Bible teaching there. And just, and and I told her, I said, you, you better be careful. And oh, I am. And I said, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. That guy's telling you everything you want to hear. Makes you just feel warm and fuzzy all over, doesn't it? Especially coming out of a bad relationship. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I'm just telling you. Sure enough, she doesn't show up in church for about a month. You know, her and Goofy were here for a while, and then he left. Well, this isn't that big a community, so I figured out where they were. So me and an elder went to his house. She had moved in with him. I banged on the door, big smiling, effervescent smile. It's how you doing? Oops. And I told him, I said, you got to leave. Well, where am I going to go? We had a place for. I had a family in the church says, you know, we got a place in the basement. You can live in the basement and go down there. Okay. And uh, 
Sure enough, she went in and grabbed her stuff, and we threw it in the back of the car, and I, we took her over to this other place and put her up there. That's helping the weak. It's helping the weak. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that was extremely awkward. Okay? I remember a guy called me one night and said, my wife left. And she's mad at me, and she's out and about, and I don't know what she's doing. They had kids all over the place. And so I talked to him a little bit, talked him off the ledge, and we prayed, and then I went after her. And there was a bar down on Main Street. Sure enough, I go down Main Street, there's her van. So I pull in, and uh, I walk in the bar. I'm looking around. Of course, where all the guys are circled around, she's in the middle. So I just walk over and I stick my head around like this and she went white. It's an awesome power. I said, you need to come with me. Of course, all the boyfriends are, they're like, what? And I was like, I don't care what you say. I ain't new to this scene. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I don't like fighting. So when I do it, I do it with as little effort as I can and make sure that, that there's no retaliation. So she went with me and I took her back and they worked on the marriage. That's helping the morally weak. I don't have to condemn them. I mean, they can just see me and go, oh, oh. <laughs> That's why people say, don't come visit me at the hospital. <laughs> okay. But see, this is, this is, now listen, that's part of my job as a shepherd. Okay. That's part of your job. There are people that will cross your path that you need to lovingly confront, whether it is admonish, whether it is strengthen, encourage, or, or to help. But then that wonderful one that we all love the best, be patient with everyone. You know who everyone is, right? Okay. Do you see how much we ignore as believers in Christ? I've told pastors in town, I said, uh, you guys should quit putting them church stickers on there. Different. This is my church and it's got a little insignia from my church. I said, because some of them drivers, <laughs> you don't want representing your church. You know, I, you know, I, I don't put a fish on my, uh, any of my vehicles. I don't want people to think the car's saved and I'm not. Okay. So, um, but we do this and we think, well, look how spiritual they are. They've got a church little insignia on there or, or a cross or whatever the, the new fad is. And I said, you know what? That ain't got nothing to do with this chapter five of first Thessalonians. Chapter five of first Thessalonians. Remember? We are about the Lord's purposes. What is the Lord's will? Appreciate and esteem those who teach us. Live in peace with one another. Admonish the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So much we ignore. Or so much we don't have time for. Have you ever noticed... How many of us are in a hurry? We're in a hurry about things. And yet, in all of that hurry, we don't get things done. You ever seen that? That discussion came up in the pastor's time this week. 
And they said that now some of these churches still haven't been opened, and some of them are opening now. And as they open, they, they come with this great conclusion. What we need to do with this time that we've had off is to evaluate the things that are necessary and the things that ain't quite as necessary. And I thought, wow, there you go. da Somebody turned the light bulb on. Okay? And, you know, and I... I've got enough to do with what God calls me to do that I don't need people telling me what they think I should be doing. Okay? If you see something that you think needs to be done, guess whose heart God laid that on? All right? Thanks for sharing. I think you should get after it. You know, our church has nine prayer ministries. Are they praying for each other's prayer ministry? What do you need nine prayer ministries? You got nine languages in the church? What do we got here? These are things that I want us to be aware of. I see people who are very, very busy. And you know what? They're not getting anything done. Those people, those saints of God, with a focused confidence to follow God's will will get a lot done. We'll get a lot done. But it has to be that focused confidence. Remember what he said, verse 17, don't be unwise. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. A fool functions apart from God's will. A fool functions apart from God's will. But you know what? I really appreciate him. Because, man, they run around a lot. I mean, I watch some of these people, and I'm like, man, look at the energy and enthusiasm they've got. You ain't getting nothing done, but boy, you are sure making a lot of noise. Okay, now you guys all have six points now. If you are doing these six, you know what? If you're doing these six and you're doing it consistently, you know what the secret is? Are you ready? If you're doing all six and you're doing them consistently, you can do whatever you want. You know why? You're doing the will of God. The Bible says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Whatever your heart desires, if you're doing these six, he will give you. He will give you. Okay, does that mean he's just going to uh, fulfill my Desires, okay, before he fulfills it, it means he fills it. He fills the desires of your heart. He puts them there. See, if the desires of your heart are temporal things, those ain't his. Which means... You're not doing his will. I have desires in my heart. 
I remember I used to illustration that uh, used to illustrate different things that you know I've been asking God for a 50 caliber black powder rifle and I just just throw something out like that and we had a big barbecue out at the house one day and this guy came out to me he'd been in the church for a while and he came out and he says uh, I want to show you something and I said okay whatever we go down to his car he opens the trunk pulls out this 50 caliber black powder rifle I'm like, ah, that's cool. That's, that's like one I want. He said, I got it for you. And I was like, gee, I should have asked for a vet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, let me give you a simple illustration of this. Why did I come to this church 30, 35 years ago? You know why? Because I wanted to. Okay, where did the desire come from? From God. And it has to be from Him because I've been here for 35 years. Right? I mean, they say the average pastor life expectancy. That's not right. The, a- <laughs> the average pastor's ministry in Colorado is five years. Okay, I've been the senior pastor for, uh, how long has it been? 26. Okay. So evidently, God says, you should go to this church. So he put that desire in my heart, and I said, I want to go to this church. Because people ask me, well, why? I just wanted to. When you know God's will... You function in God's will, then you understand that you have a sense of time and opportunity. I have boundaries. I have so many opportunities he's going to give me, and I have so much time. I don't know what the opportunities are, and I don't know what the time is. Because then I'll be obedient to his life principles. And you know what you'll do? Uh, my dad died when I was a young man. Now, I was a kid. I think I was 13 or 14 years old. And uh, he was a hard-driving, retired Marine. And uh, this was back, he fought in World War II. He fought in Korea, fought in Vietnam. And, I mean, this was back years and years and years ago. He died in 71. And as a young man, you always ask, I wonder if my dad would be proud of me. Now, see, I can't get an answer, right? Okay, I, I've been checking my emails, uh, Facebook, I just don't get an answer. But I know that if I do those six principles for the Lord, His will... I have found that my life makes a difference. And I guess when it all boils down to it, it's not whether my dad is proud of me, it's whether my Lord says, well done, true and faithful servant. And let me give you the best illustration of this walk of wisdom. 
John's Gospel 5, all the way through it. I'm not going to go to each verse. Jesus always functioned to divine life principles. Remember, I do only the things the Father tells me to do. Okay? That's God's life principles. But he also always functioned to the limits of his privilege. My time has not yet come. Okay? He always functioned according to the Father's purposes, to the Father's will. My need is to do the will of my Father. Okay? That's a perfect illustration of the walk of wisdom. Life principles of God, the limits of my life, and knowing the Lord's purposes. He walked that narrow path. Remember when I talked about the narrow path? It's very compressed. It's a very exact walk. It's, it's so exact. And you know, one of the things that I always find fascinating when I was studying the Gospel of Matthew, his timing was impeccable. I mean, he knew when to let him die. <laughs> he, he knew when to raise him up. He knew how to heal him from a distance. I always thought that was amazing. I will heal in absentia. But his timing was perfect. It was always perfect. He knew his course. He knew his course. He knew the exact path. He grabbed every opportunity. But I went back through the four Gospels in the last couple of weeks. And you know, it was kind of, there was just this thing kept buzzing around in my head. You never see Jesus in a hurry. Ever seen that? That's fascinating to me. I know a bunch of Christians who are in a hurry. You don't think so? Why do you get mad when you get slowed down in traffic? Why do you get mad if there's a big long line at the market? I can tell you how to fix that. Just sneeze. Poof. You'd be the only one standing there. Why do we get in a hurry for things like that? You know what I've learned? I think it's divine. Maybe it's just because I passed 60. Is if I get in a hurry, then the rest of the world won't be. And you'll find yourself thinking, can I get a bolt of lightning here, Lord? Okay? So I don't get in a hurry. I don't get in a hurry. But even Jesus not in a hurry... He did have a determination. And yet in that determination was availability. I've got a bunch of... God surrounded me with a bunch of people who are organized. And I used to think that, God, you blessed me with these people because they can kind of keep me going. But I think it's for me to torment them. (laughs) See? Secretary said amen. My wife's going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." (laughs) He's, He's very good at it. But part of that, I would argue, is availability. 
I don't make my plans so rock solid that I can't be available. Used to be that joke. You ever heard that joke? Want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. I learned that a long time ago, the hard way. I used to argue with him. But Lord, you don't understand. I had this written on my calendar. This is very, very important or I wouldn't have written it on my calendar. And sometimes he says, no, I need you to torment the people who are organized around you. (laughs) Teach them suffering. (laughs) Because see, if you're available and determined, you will have a sense of being on the divine path. And let me tell you something. There's times you walk away from a situation you're like, well, I don't get the point of that. But you think about this. Three years with Judas Iscariot. I don't get the point of that. It is moving from one step to the next. That is the worthy walk. God is our path. If you are going to walk wise... Now you have the information on how to do it. So then, God wants you saved. He wants you spirit-filled. He wants you sanctified. He wants you submissive. And he wants you suffering. And he wants you thankful. Okay? Those six, if you do those... And it is the pattern of your life. Remember what I told you what walking is? It's the pattern of my life. Saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering, and saying thanks. Be thankful in all things. Rejoice again, I say rejoice. Then you can do whatever you want. Okay? But I'll tell you, you can walk out of here. You got, I got my list. I'm ready. Okay, then I'm going to tell you how I do it. Lord, help me to walk worthy. Let me seize every opportunity and neglect none. We have a tendency to neglect. Did you know that? I remember one time I was going back for a funeral with the family back in Ohio. And I said, Lord, I don't really want to do this, but here I go. I said, but let me be very sensitive to any door that is open. Please help me. Because I've not noted for my sensitivity. So let me be sensitive. So I go back and I'm sharing the gospel with my cousin and his wife. And somehow I got into the deity of Jesus Christ. She looks at me for a second and says, what is deity? You know what the first thought went through my head? Man, you're stupid. Terry, not being sensitive to the door that is open. I've managed to lead both of them to Christ, point the way. They're both... uh, my cousin's the one I went and seen this time. He's really struggling with dementia. His wife has got a fire for Jesus. And she's one of those, uh, what I call a talker. So she's always talking. 
But uh, we've got to be seize the opportunities. Seize the opportunities. I don't know how much time I have. But you know what's really cool? You don't either. You don't know how many opportunities you have. I don't either. So when I get one, I'm going to take it. Even if I feel like I've been hit by a bus. I had some opportunities this week. I was so sick the other day. And they still, my ribs still hurt. But I had some people I needed to meet with. I had some things I had to deal with. I had some people that I wanted to share with. And I shared with them. And then I went home and cried. <laughs> God, that hurt. <laughs> I'm not sure it was suffering for Jesus. I think it was for suffering for stupidity. Let me close with a prayer from the Apostle Paul. I don't like reading prayers. You ever seen them prayer books? I like this one. Pray with me. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of His glory, of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance to the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Father, open our eyes. Amen.